GDPR, is that even like still a thing? You're listening to Inbox Besties, the only little guy approved podcast that gives you dangerously practical advice for turning internet randos into subscribers with benefits. You know, the kind that pop open their wallets and throw fistfuls of cash at you for your courses and, and coaching, not like that other stuff. Perf. Now let's get to it. Welcome back, my inbox besties, besties. Kate Doster of kateodoster.com, creator of the Love Your List email marketing, sales, and copywriting course, guys, which you can always get onto the waitlist for by heading on over to loveyourlist.co. There might be some special prizes or two over there as well. And today's episode is super special, not only because we are talking to one of the amazing students from Love Your List, but she also happens to be an attorney here in the U.S. and in California. And guys, she happens, just so happens, Miriam specializes in dealing with issues that have to deal with blogging, bloggers, and online businesses, okay? So this is really key because I feel in our space, we talk to a lot of people who say blog about blogging or business coaches who coach about business thing and all of that sort of stuff. But very rarely are we finding people in these disciplines that very much matter, such as accounting, such as actually lawyering. So I do wanna let you know before we go any further that while she is licensed to practice law, in the United States and California. This does not constitute any type of legal advice on this show. Marian is not your lawyer, guys. This is purely for informational purposes only, so you can make the best decision for your business. And for most people, actually talking to a licensed lawyer where you're at is going to be your best decision. So we just wanted to give you that disclaimer, and I'm actually going to say it again throughout our interview as well, again, just to keep everything on the up and up. So this week's episode I asked Marianne if she would come on and talk about GDPR, which is the General Data Protection Regulation. And if you guys are a longtime listener of the show, uh, about a year and a half ago, I had Jen on, who was my friend. She also at the time talked about email marketing. And we just kind of had a coffee time chat about what we're actually doing since we're not lawyers and the methodologies that we're taking. And I feel like GDPR happened in May and then no one's talked about it ever again. And that's probably because, as Marianne actually mentions, there's been no cases brought up about GDPR and people mishandling information. So it's kind of hard to say like, this is the way you have to handle it. That's the way you have to handle it. And that's again, where some of the confusion lies with GDPR and where you need to make your decision. While there are certain things that are very universal that we're going to talk about that you like you have to have on your website, period, bar none, if you've got a website, when it comes to dealing with email marketing and specifically, there are a lot of different ways and avenues you can go. So the way that we actually talk about it in this interview, guys, is we actually took a very conservative type of a view when it came to email marketing. So like you're going to hear some lawyers out there and some gurus be like, oh, well, if you just slap on the bottom that this is a gift exclusively for people who sign up to my newsletter, like that should be able to get you there. It's gray hat or like, oh, if you sign up for this, you're also getting this so people know. But then there's this thing called bundling and like consent. There is a lot of gray area. So if you are in the EU, we do suggest that you actually hire a lawyer to go over your stuff and make sure that you have everything in place. If you are in the US, it is still smart to speak with someone personally who is an attorney to make sure that you are GDPR compliant as you can because we can't deny people getting on our email list or our websites from EU. And honestly, as we talked about in this interview, which I didn't even know, so I made huge notes, Miriam brings up that actually California has since instituted some very similar usage rights, if you will, to data. And basically this is all about transparency, being honest with people and giving them a choice. So in this interview in particular, we talk about how to handle landing pages. We talk about the things that you need on your website. And guys, I really drilled home because this is like where there's some super gray area. 
how to deal with challenges and multiple day freebies that are essentially funnels for paid products. So Miriam actually takes a very conservative view on this. I have to say mine's a little slanty, but again, I'm not a lawyer, neither is she technically your lawyer. So you can sort of handle this however you want to handle this, but you need to make a decision. You cannot just turn a blind eye to this. So we're going to talk about all of those different ways that you can handle getting really what's called compliance or people saying, yes, you can email me about other stuff besides just giving me this free gift. So that's enough of me going on and on and on and on. And let's go on to the interview. Oh my goodness, guys. I am so excited today to be talking about GDPR and kind of like a where is it now type of an update episode because I feel like last year around May and April, like everyone was like GDPR, GDPR. And if you guys are a longtime listener of the show, I had my friend Jen on who at the time was also teaching email marketing. And it was just sort of like us just riffing about like what we were doing. But I feel like a lot of people just kind of let it go to the wayside because didn't really see like anyone getting sued. So I would absolutely love for you to introduce yourself, let us know who you are, all of that juicy goodness before we dive into GDPR funness. Hi, Kate. Um, I'm Miriam. Uh, I am a licensed attorney in the United States. I'm licensed in California, but can practice federal law throughout. Uh, I'm also a blogger. I have been blogging for a little bit over a year at this point. And recently I rebranded my blog and I'm concentrating on legal aspects of blogging, legal aspects of entrepreneurship. And I'm trying to make sure that, you know, online creatives like you guys aren't overwhelmed with the legal stuff. So yeah, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, uh, my website's um, at freelanceandmarketing.com. So if you want to learn more about me, you can just go there and I'll be there. I promise. <laughs> Definitely. I love the rebrand. Uh, we've actually talked about that. She is one of my students of Love Your List, of course. I kind of mentioned that in the intro as well. I was like, your branding makes everything seem so unintimidating. And so does your writing. Because like, I know personally even though like I try to consider myself like a smart person, like I think most of us besties do here, blog can just be really intimidating, especially when you're just trying to get to the crux of the matter of the what can I do and no one will necessarily give you a straight answer. So I'm super deeply excited to have you on so you can actually talk to someone who has a law background. So before we do guys, just so you know, she's not your attorney. This is not considered legal advice, guys. We gotta do our disclaimers. I pay attention to what you talk. So this is just for informational purposes only. And again, especially if you are in the EU, as we're going to be talking about for you guys, especially, I feel like it's really important that you actually talk to an attorney who's licensed to practice law where you're at. But let's go ahead and just draw everything back just a little bit. And how did you actually transition from being a lawyer to being a blogger or doing both? Like, what was that like? Um. So I wasn't, uh, I've done a little bit of blogging years and years ago, like in, um, I want to say 2005, 2006, I was a junior in high school mm -hmm. and um, that was mostly unintentional. But back then I was obsessed with writing a book. I wanted to be a published author and my English teacher ended up telling me that, you know, there's this thing blogging like it's kind of new and I know people who go and like they write short stories or creative pieces and then if a publisher likes it they'll give them a book deal I was like oh okay let me do that so I opened an account on wordpress.com and I didn't even have a proper domain name my domain name was like 
whatever, like my domain name, .wordpress.com. <laughs> um, so one thing led to another. I started doing like a whole bunch of book reviews on that site. And then it got so, I got so many like requests for book reviews while I was in high school, like preparing for college that I decided to shut that site down. Then people contacted me and they were like, no, like, why don't you just continue doing it? Charge for book reviews. That way you won't get as many requests. So I started charging for book reviews and I didn't even have PayPal set up. Like I didn't know what that was. Like people were sending me personal checks. Um, so back then, like I was earning anywhere from like $2,500 to $3,000 a month as a junior in high school, which was kind of sweet, but college started and I couldn't keep it up. I shut everything down. And I, you know, fast forward, I'm an attorney, I'm practicing for the first time. I actually opened up my law practice and I wasn't working for anybody else, but we did just move to a new state from California. We now live in Washington and I didn't have anybody watching my kid. I hired a couple of babysitters, but it didn't work out. So it was a hard decision. My husband and I sat down and we were like, you know, it's our kid or my career, our kid or my career. Um, something had to give. I closed my law practice and I became a stay-at-home mom. It drove me crazy. <laughs> yes, my brain melted too. I love I my kids, but I just can't do it. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yes. Like I love my kid, but I needed something like I have never just stayed home in my life before. I was like, I need to do something. I was like, babe, I'm going to do blogging again. It was like, what is that? Like, is that real? I was like, yes, yes, that's real. I don't care about making money. Like, I just want to do something. I want to like, you know, other than my kid, I love him to death, but I need something. So that's how it started. Um, I started talking about blogging and funnily enough about email list building and marketing. Um, then recently a good friend of mine was like, you have something that some of us don't and that's your law degree and you can kind of apply it to this. Why don't you talk about that? Cause I feel like you will find your niche audience in that you will get more followers because I was struggling with traffic and, finding followers. That's how it started. I like rebranded. I was like, okay, I'm going to refocus on law. I'm going to change everything and see how this goes. And the rest is history as they say. <laughs> uh, I love, I absolutely love so much of that story. Not just because I completely relate to being a stay-at-home mom and loving your child, but the whole act of being a stay-at-home mom, I feel like especially when we have that entrepreneurship and I love how you just sort of stumbled into it in high school, but it's like this need to create that it's just like, there's just something like, there's only so many kid games you can make up, but like you need something that is yours that you feel like you're utilizing your brain and now you're gonna be able to actually use your degree. So I have to ask, when you came back into blogging, you had already had great results making money blogging. So mm -hmm. I can see why you went the blogging about blogging route, but were you nervous to actually talk about law for like legal reasons or did you just think that nobody would care? I'm just kind of wondering what that thought process was. Um, to be honest, um... I think I was, okay, okay, full disclosure, full honesty right now. <laughs> oh, we're getting the tea, everyone, get the paper towel. So uh, even though I told my husband that I don't care about making money, I just want something to occupy me, um, I, there was this guilt almost that I was at home and I wasn't bringing in any income. So my goal was like, how cool would it be if I do this thing that I enjoy and I make money and, you know, just make things 
that much easier for us because my husband he is a resident physician like which means he is you know a doctor but he's still kind of under somebody else's tutelage mm -hmm. so he's not making what doctors make like we're you know just your average normal family at the moment no big money coming in so i was like um i, I want to make money and then i saw all this like income reports online bloggers like blogging about blogging and mm -hmm. it's like home like this person's bringing in 100k a month like if i brought like 2500 10 years ago without even trying how much more can I make now that I actually know a few things? Um, it didn't work that way. <laughs> the market was. I'm thinking that too. Like, oh, Sacred and Bluehost, because I've also seen those as too. That's why I have a couple of yeah. things about it, even though I don't blog about blogging. And so, like, I'll make a couple affiliate sales like a month here or there. But like, mm -hmm. we've all been allured. Yeah. Allured yeah. And <laughs> initially, like, I don't know if you've read any of my posts, uh, and I have a mind to go back and delete a few of my old, like, really old posts that I have on there. Is initially, I was following this advice from big name marketers and bloggers out there like fake it till you make it approach you know i would write my posts as if like i'm there i know what i'm talking about but it just felt so fake to me like i always struggled with this um what is it called that syndrome uh, imposter syndrome exactly i was like i'm not there yet i shouldn't be talking about this so i changed gears even with blogging about blogging like i changed gears in the middle of it and i was like okay look guys i'm no expert i'm struggling like honest truth i'm struggling to get traffic I'm struggling to get email lists like yeah, people on my email you know um so i am experimenting i'm doing all these things like i'm taking courses so my goal is to talk about my experiences what works for me what doesn't work for me so if you're interested you know follow me learn from my mistakes so that was the approach i kind of adopted in the middle of my blogging about blogging thing but then again you know not many people want to learn from somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing right like if i'm gonna follow this person see if she's successful or not waste my time i'd rather go follow somebody who is successful and is telling me straight up what's working i don't need to worry about what's not working anymore so yeah i'm probably gonna lose a lot of followers because of this don't don't leave me people but <laughs> I honestly but i know maybe it's just because like i've been in this industry for so long and like being like rubbing elbows with other marketers and then blogging about blogging sphere because i do consider them two different spheres like, I can honestly say as, like, a new blogger, I would probably find those articles less intimidating and, like, more believable because just, like, on Pinterest, and you guys, I'll drop a link to Elena's episode where she talks about Pinterest in it. Like, you see all those pins that are, like, you know, how I got, you know, 25,000 views in a month. And as a new blogger, you're like, what? But if someone's yeah. just, like, how I went from zero to a thousand in two months, like, oh, well, that's, like, more believable. That seems doable. It has that lack of like oh well she must have just gotten lucky because something went viral type of scenario mm -hmm. so i wouldn't discount that to be honest with you even now still that whole um they call it documenting rather than creating so i definitely <laughs> i love that so today guys we are going to and thank you honestly i should say for being honest about your numbers and your struggles because like i said this year especially on inbox besties we are trying to get to like the crux of what it's like and it does like that imposter syndrome, I think was well placed because it was almost guilt. Like, 
but I'm not. Then I was like, why would I say like, oh, so like you could be like, oh, how like these six figure vloggers made it, but like you wouldn't call yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. I love your integrity. That's what I'm getting at, but I'm not shocked at all from knowing you that it's there. So let's talk about good old GDPR. So like we mentioned a little bit when we were first introducing you, could you just actually break down what the letters actually stand for and why should we still like care about it? Sure. Um, so GDPR stands for General Data Protection Regulation, and it is a European Union uh, law slash regulation that came out actually back in 2016, but it was started being enforced from May of 2018. Mm-hmm. It's essentially a very large, very strict piece of regulation that controls uh, how others can collect and process individuals' data, right? And data uh, can mean a lot of things. Like it can mean name, it can mean email address, phone number, geographic location, essentially any piece of information that if you piece together, you can find out who the individual is. So it can mean something as abstract as an IP address, which in and of itself might not necessarily be considered data for GDPR purposes, but when you have an IP address combined with a geographic location, maybe even a city, then you can kind of piece things together and you might be able to ascertain who the actual individual is. So that starts being regulated under GDPR. Oh, see, I never even thought about it like that way. It's actually like piece together who the purpose is. So it's GDPR. Is that for just like big companies? Like, you know, here in the States, like how like Target got like their data interrupted and like stolen and like all of those things. Like, was it more of like a credit card thing or is it for all of us with like our email list and things? Um, so it, it, uh, came into being because of those uh, big companies kind of misusing and mishandling personal data of people. But the law actually applies to everybody. So to everybody, any website, any business, any company who collects or processes an individual's data. And when I say individual, I mean an individual located in a European Union area. it applies to them. So it's not just for the big companies, it is for everybody across the board. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter that I'm not, I'm a small time blogger and I'm in the United States, I still have to comply if I have even just one European Union visitor on my site who happens to want, let's say, a free resource that I'm offering and gives me their email address. Even if they don't give me their address, my website uses cookies. I use cookies, I have Facebook Pixel, Google Analytics. So a lot of their data gets stored, gets caught, even without me actively doing anything about that. So I still have to comply. Ooh, so even, and this is like a big one. I mean, if you guys are listening to my podcast, chances are you want to be growing an email list. But even if you haven't started one yet, if you have Google Analytics, which everyone tells you is like, the first thing you need to do when you actually get a blog, then you need to be able to tell people about it. So is that like what I see on all those blogs where they have like those like pop-ups now that says like our site uses cookies? Like Yes, that's one of the GDPR requirements that if your site does use cookies, which again, pretty much every site does, 
you have to give them notice uh, through a pop-up or a banner or something like that, that your site uses cookies. And you also have to give the visitor the option to agree to have essentially their cookies tracked. And they also should have the option to opt out. Um, I think the gist of GDPR comes down to a choice. It's a complicated piece of legislature, but um, for me, like the way I think about it and the way everything makes sense to me, it comes down to a choice. I have to give this person a choice to decide whether to be on my email list or not, whether I get to email them my regular newsletters or not, whether their data is being transferred to a third party or not. So essentially it's their data, they own it, and they have complete control over what you can and cannot do with it. That's you know sort of uh, the way I look at it to make compliance a little bit easier in my mind. Gotcha. So the reason why I feel like a lot of people forget about GDPR, and it was so mystical. So I was literally, <laughs> we had talked about this. Y'all know that Kate secretly woo. So like I had literally like one day in my head, I'm like, oh, I want to talk about GDPR again because I feel like everyone forgot about it. And then literally like that exact day in the Love Your List Facebook group, we're like, hey guys, I'm a lawyer, talk about GDPR, and I've got like this workshop. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, I need you on the podcast because you actually <laughs> know what you're talking about. I'm so excited. So well, I think, yeah, I, I think the reason GDPR is, in my opinion, even more important now than it was when it just came out for people in, at least in the US area, not in the European Union area, is because after GDPR, there were a whole bunch of countries that followed suit and they adopted their own versions of data regulation policies. And in the United States, California was the first one, and that piece of legislature is going to start being enforced in 2020 from January, I believe. And it is not as strict as GDPR. It's not as like large, you know, as GDPR, but it's still pretty darn strict piece of regulation that controls your um, individual's data, like how you can use it, what you can and cannot do with it, and. Generally speaking, California, um, this is not technically the right term to use, but California tends to be a trendsetter for laws, at least in the United States. So anytime California adopts some kind of a new law, uh, other states tend to follow soon thereafter. So I, and I, I think many lawyers will agree with me on this, that after the California law starts uh, you know, being enforced, the privacy law, we're going to see many other states come up with similar regulations. And it is not impossible that United States as a whole might adopt a data regulation, a privacy regulation policy on federal level. So I think by complying with the GDPR, you're only setting yourself up for success in a few months because when a California law comes out, you in the United States still have to make all these adjustments to your sites to make sure that you're complying with that. You know, but if you already have GDPR in place, then there's only like very minor tweaks you have to do for that. Yeah. And so um, we're guys, we're going to talk just about the website just for right now. And then don't worry, we're going to be talking about email marketing in particular, because I even myself have some questions. I'm like, am I doing this right? Like, is this right? And so first and foremost, guys, you cannot block anyone from the EU getting to your site. I know that was like a big thing a year or a year and a half ago. People are like, oh, well, I just like won't let people from the EU on my site. Like you can't do that because even if somebody 
who is from the United States, if they happen to be in the EU, then they are covered under GDPR. So it's a gray area. So it has to be everyone. So we had talked about the pop-up and like letting people know and officially like opt out. I'm guessing there's some plugins that we could utilize for this. Uh, yeah, there, um, for, if you have WordPress, um, there's like cookie consent, there's GDPR notice, I believe. If you just go into the plugin repository and mm -hmm. search like cookie pop-up, whole bunch of plugins come up and just pick and choose one that, you know, works with your site. Yeah. And if you're on a Squarespace or a Wix, guys, I feel like your best bet is just to Google like GDPR plus Squarespace or especially with Squarespace, like reach out to their support staff just so that way you mm -hmm. can actually make sure that everything on your site is compliant because they should have it like as the default, but just in case it isn't. Yeah, so definitely. besides having that pop up, I know we had talked a little bit in our last one about like terms of condition and privacy policy. Mm -hmm. So could you talk just a tiny bit about that before we get into the big old dog of email marketing? Okay, sure. Um, so privacy policy as a result of GDPR and several other privacy regulations that came out is um, pretty much mandated by law for any website at the moment that collects any kind of data, okay? And doesn't even have to be email collection. It can be something as simple as commenting on your oh, I didn't website. Even think about commenting. I was just going to Google Analytics, but even just having comments. Commenting because you enter your personal information, you enter your name, your email. So mm -hmm. that is data that your site is collecting. Um, so privacy policy is an absolute must and clearly your privacy policy needs to be compliant with the po data policy regulations, GDPR, and your own country's laws and regulations. So for people in the United States, let's say, um, your privacy policy needs to meet GDPR requirements. There are certain terms that you know, uh, were added after GDPR specifically about data, what you can, cannot do with it, how people can request their data from you and all, all that good stuff. And you also have to make sure that you have some kind of language there that um, complies with the California privacy regulation. Ooh, see, I, I'm like, I'm feverishly writing this myself. And don't worry, we've got a checklist for you guys. So that way you can make sure you stay on top of everything. So you don't have to be like feverishly like pulling over to the side of the road and write this all down. But I'm really interested to say, especially like I know that my privacy policy is GDPR compliant, but I didn't even think to look to see the difference that I might need to add for California. I do know that it needs to be in plain English for the most part. I believe how that was one sort of term. It needs to be sort of clear and concise. Yes. Your privacy policy. And you actually have a privacy policy template for sale, right, on your website? Um, I do. I have a whole bunch of policies and contracts. I have a legal shop on my site that, you know, if you want to check it out, you can go there. Uh, it's freelance and marketing forward slash uh, my shop. <laughs> Okay, I, hey, it's simple and to the point. We'll go ahead and we'll definitely put a link down here below, guys. So that way you'll be able to easily access it if you need to, because I feel like, again, I didn't even think about California. So I'm like, oh man, writing a big note to myself. It's like California. Mm -hmm. So let's change gears just for a little bit. So we'll assume that everyone's got like the privacy policy underway. Mm -hmm. We, especially even if we just have commenting. So at this point, you don't even need to have Google Analytics, but you need to if you're doing commenting, you need this privacy policy. We've yes. got our pop-up. Again, everything is fully disclosure. Ideally, people will be able to opt out of your type of tracking. Facebook picks up counts of that as well. So let's talk about email list. So mm -hmm. 
one of the big, big things, we're going to talk about this in two parts, but one of the big, big things was about landing pages and this checkbox and opting out and that whole wording. And again, I know that you're not our lawyer. So this is just sort of your take on it. It's for informational purposes only. Um, is it one of those things that like, if somebody has a freebie, like say your checklist, can you still say like, and you're going to get signed up to my newsletter or is that considered bundling or is like your language different? Like how, how do we handle the landing page and how do we handle after the subscribe? Okay. So, um, when you say landing page, I'm assuming you mean like you're offering a free resource and you want, yes. okay. Yeah. Your opt-in page. So first and foremost, um, with GDPR, you're not allowed to mandate that people join your list to get the freebie. So if it's a free resource, it's there, it's available. Anybody should be able to get access to that regardless whether they agree to be on your list or not. So that's the one of the big things that a lot of people building their email list struggled because they don't want to give away a piece of you know good content that they created specifically for building their email list but now they kind of have to. So you can't bundle, okay, as you mentioned, you can't bundle under GDPR. And by bundling, we mean you can't say, you can't have like a checkbox or a privacy policy like statement down below that says, hey, by subscribing to get this freebie, uh, you're also agreeing to be on my newsletter and to receive uh, occasional promotional emails from me. Like you can't do that you have to get specific content, uh, consent for a specific purpose. Mm -hmm. If you have more than one purpose, uh, let's say um, you want to process their data for um, freebie purposes to deliver the freebie, right? Mm -hmm. So you can say, um, you can put a little checkbox down there. And this is where kind of uh, uh, attorneys disagree with each other because yeah. you know GDPR um, it, it's still a new piece of legislation and unfortunately or I don't know fortunately until now there hasn't been an actual case that is considered a precedent meaning mm -hmm. a, a case that we know is the law and that's how the courts are going to look at it that's how the courts are going to interpret it so most of what we as attorneys are saying are based on our own interpretations of the policy and our on our own understanding so we tend to differ on this minor point i tend to think that when you do have a freebie on your landing page and people sign up for it you don't have to get consent to send them an email for that freebie because mm. that's in my mind that's given if they're giving you their email to get that freebie they're fully expecting you to email them the freebie mm -hmm. but you do need consent for anything more than that. If uh, you deliver the freebie, obviously this means you do not put them on your general email list without getting their specific and valid consent. You can just email them the freebie and that's it. After that, unless you have their consent to put them on your newsletter, you're done with that person. You can't do anything else. And I tend to have either a checkbox or a drop down um, option or, you know, wonderful radio buttons that I love so much, um, <laughs> where if I'm offering a freebie, I'll put um, a checkbox. But at the same time, you want to make sure that your checkbox is optional. It cannot be mandatory. In other words, if the text of your checkbox says, um, 
click here if you want to be added to my newsletter or if you check back this box you're going to get added to my newsletter also right email marketing is tough from figuring out what freebie to create to actually getting people there signing it up and never mind when it comes time to send that weekly newsletter having the nerve to go ahead and hit send you know what shouldn't be tough figuring out how to do all of those stuff in your email service provider, which is why I want you to check out ConvertKit. ConvertKit is the only email marketing software that was created by a pro blogger for pro bloggers. And they make it ridiculously easy to find out what your open rates are, have multiple freebies, but only send your welcome series once so you don't seem like a weirdo. And of course, guys, they come with stunning free landing pages. And guess what? As a listener of Inbox Besties, you can actually get a free 30-day trial to take a look under the hood to see how much easier it is than your current email software is. So head on over to katedoster.com forward slash CK to claim your free 30-day trial of ConvertKit. Once again, head on over to katedoster.com forward slash CK and claim your 30-day free trial now. If your system does not allow the person to move forward, without clicking that box, then that's not GDPR compliant. And unfortunately, I've noticed that a lot of the software out there doesn't have that optional checkbox um, yeah. ability. It's always mandatory. You can put any language you want for the checkbox, but most of them do not allow that checkbox to be optional. It says like you can't press it, you have to check it, which kind of yeah. doesn't make sense anymore. So, you know, just have to do your due diligence to look for a piece of technology or software that allows you to have an optional checkbox if that's how you want to go about that. Or, um, you know, there, there's always a workaround to getting consent. Yeah. I love um, what you said about radio buttons. So if you guys aren't quite sure what radio buttons are, they're the things where it's like, as I'm showing you guys, because, you know, it's, <laughs> it's an actual podcast. It's like those little circles where you have to pick a circle. And what I really like about the radio boxes in general is that while you can't default, particularly to the one that says, yes, keep me posted, they are forced to pick a choice mm -hmm. before they can sign up. And then your email service provider on the back end should be able to tell you, hey, based on someone's radio button, what should we do? And we always mm -hmm. talk about, and I love how you said, even with lawyers, since there's been no precedent, um, I like how you err very much on the side of like conservatism and you want to make sure that people are like really protected. And I do feel that that radio button is a really great option. Um, I know in my course, and I would love to hear your opinion on this, we say that if again, GDPR is a bigger concern, something like have a double opt-in set up, but that first email that somebody would usually confirm their email actually like give a link to the free gift and then have that button be like, I've already gotten my free gift. Please add me to your actual email list. Does that count as consent or was I just kind of pulling that out of my butt? Yeah. No, no. So that is the absolute correct way to use a double opt-in. Uh, that is GDPR compliant and that is one of the methods that you can show consent. But, um, you know, most people don't use double uh, opt-ins the way you just said. And let's say, for example, if 
uh, let's take ConvertKit because it's, it's my email service provider and it's very easy, it's very simple. But the way most people use, let's say ConvertKit, if they're doing a double opt-in, you have your freebie or you have the form. When they subscribe, if you use the confirmation option, the double opt-in email for that, there's just one button there and you can you know reward it. You can say, um, download your freebie and confirm, for example. And some people even take out the confirm altogether. They just leave like, download your freebie, right? Mm. But when people click on that button, what happens? ConvertKit puts them in your system as a confirmed subscriber. That's not really uh, compliant anymore. That's not really mm -hmm. GDPR because that person didn't have a choice but to click on that button to get the freebie. So, but if you have a double opt-in in place and let's say somewhere in that email, you give them a link to the actual freebie, like, hey, click on this link to download your freebie and they can actually click on it and freely download their freebie and you're not gonna tag them as confirmed in your system. Then you say, okay, um, here is the button to confirm your like subscription, uh, click down below to confirm that you wanna stay on my email list and they do, then that's perfectly fine but you can't just give them one like confirm or some of them even do like confirm your subscription and you'll get your freebie. So as soon as they confirm, they get the second email that delivers their freebie to them. Again, that's not really compliant at that point. Gotcha. So here's like the big $10 million question that I always got from people. And I'm like, mm, what if your free gift happens to be like, a webinar where then afterwards you're pitching a product or even less sort of salesy, if you will. What if it's like a 10 or excuse me, like a five day challenge. And then at the end of the challenge, you're pitching a course. So we mm -hmm. can't really use our confirmation trick to be like, yeah, you can continue to email me, but like, how can we actually email them for those five days? If they don't confirm that they want to be on our list, like we can't send them anything besides day one. No, no, you can't. So, um, and again, this is a little bit of a gray area, but yeah. under GDPR, you're allowed to deliver the freebie. You're, you're okay. allowed to so if it's deliver the five freebie. emails. Exactly. So if you have a five-day email and somebody from EU area uh, signs up for that, they fully expect to get five emails from you during, you know, with five days, right? Mm -hmm. But you cannot email them in between those emails. Mm -hmm. And you cannot email them after the uh, five-day email is done. Now, what you can do is you can definitely try to convince them to join your email list. And you can kind of do that in the body of one of the emails that you're sending, you know, at the end. Like, by the way, um, this is the type of content I send out. If you want to stay on my email list or if you want to be part of my email list to get my tips and hacks for growing your email list or, you know, being awesome at email marketing, then click this link here and I'll put you in my regular email list. So that you're allowed to do, you can definitely convince them, but definitely don't send any emails in between. Like if you have a broadcast that's going out, you definitely want to exclude this new people who signed up for the uh, five day course, if they're from EU and you definitely cannot email them after the five emails are done. Oh my God. <laughs> See, and this is, I can tell that we're going to have a lot of questions, which is why we've got the checklist and why people will be able to hop on your email list and they'll be able to ask you their questions directly because I know they're so 
much gray area. So it kind of comes back to if the, um, there's one lawyer in particular last year that said um, she had like, she didn't say there was like the checkbox consent or even like where you're doing the button, but it was almost like the intent or interest clause. So it was like, if somebody signs up for a five day challenge about healthy eating, and then my coaching program is about healthy eating, like, would it be okay for me to pitch her about the thing at the end of my five day challenge? Because she's already shown interest in it. But then before she goes on my main newsletter list, ask, like, is that okay? Cause like, I, again, I'm trying to think of, I mean, there's a million options and it's so confusing. Like you said, there's no precedent, but like, where is it like, okay to like pitch a product and all this, if our freebie is essentially a funnel. Um, so you can pitch a product and as far as you just talk about it in like a couple of lines and provide them a link. And obviously they have a choice whether to click on that link or not. Mm-hmm. but you cannot just automatically transition them into getting that other funnel about that product that you're pitching them. Um, so if uh, let's just take you, for example, yeah. let's say if you had like um, five day free email marketing course or mm-hmm. improve your sales emails, whatnot in five days with those five emails. And then you have your main course. Mm-hmm. So you cannot, automatically transition them after the five days of into the funnel for your love your list email courses like they cannot stop start getting emails about that they have to specifically consent so what you can do in your last email of the five day series that goes out you can say by the way i have this product and and you by the way you should always disclose to them and from what I understand, as much I understand about GDPR, as I said, it comes down to choice. It comes down to transparency. So the more open you are with your um, subscribers, especially from the EU area, the better it is for you in the long run. You know, So I even had an email at some point in my own system that would tell them, hey, here's your freebie. And I had two different versions of an email. One was for EU and the other one was regular. And mm-hmm. in the EU version, I'm telling them, here's the freebie, like here's the link to your free resource downloaded here. By the way, you're not going to get any more emails from you since I did not put you on my email list. If you want to get on my email list, click this button here and it'll mark you as confirmed in my system so that you can receive my regular emails. Um, The same is true like when you're pitching a product, right? At the end, on day five of the email, you can say something along those lines of, um, since you are located in a European Union area, like I'm very conscious of GDPR, so you are not on my main email list. This means you will not get any emails from me after today. Mm -hmm. If you want to learn about this awesome product that I have, click this link right here and it'll put you in my, let's say, and you'll get emails about this offer, but you also in a backend, you want to make sure that you have a tag because if they click on that at that, and you know, you're saying that when you click on this, you're going to be placed in my system for email list and you apply a tag in the backend of your ESP. That way that's perfectly fine because you got consent from them, but you can't absolutely do it automatically. Gotcha. So here, so you said a lot of really interesting things, and I know that we're both fans of ConvertKit. I know ConvertKit 
and if you could speak to this, they have up in, I believe it's their settings, something where you can click on almost like an EU, where if somebody is from the EU, they almost have what's called like a sandwich page, if you will, where mm -hmm. it's like if ConvertKit happens to notice, and that's what they say, it's a happens to, it's not a guarantee, they'll yeah. try to get that extra layer of consent. Is that true? Like, are, is, are they able to sort of track people? So like you said, if you wanted to have two different funnels, you could at some point in there so they can track it or? Well, so with the two different funnels, it's all manual. It's not something that ConvertKit automatically provides. It's more of a workaround that you okay. kind of make for yourself. You can create a segment based on the location. You know, if somebody's subscribing, they happen to be within the European Union area and you can create those segments and ConvertKit. You can kind of apply filters to different sequences where they have to go through that email first and if they confirm then they'll get on your regular um, list or regular sequences. So that's a workaround that's not readily available in ConvertKit features. Now, um, I'll be totally honest, I'm not the biggest fan of um, the way ConvertKit handles uh, mm -hmm. the GDPR compliance because there, there can be, as you said, you know, they're saying like, if they happen to catch it, they'll, they'll send them to that sandwich page to get consent. But what happens when uh, the IP address doesn't register properly, or sometimes like when you're accessing it with your phone, it doesn't register properly. Uh, so a lot of things could go wrong. A lot of people from whom you're supposed to get consent, you could end up having on your list without getting consent through that method. Mm. So I try to stay away. And surprisingly, like one of the few, might even be the only like ESP that handles GDPR really, really well, happens to be MailerLite. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, MailerLite. We'll put a link yeah. to MailerLite in the show notes. If only they hadn't gotten blacklisted for sending emails a couple of uh, like months. I'm like, you're killing me, MailerLite. I want to tell everyone to use you and then you get blacklisted from Gmail twice. <gasps> Oh, oh no, no. I'm a fan of MailerLite. I, I really guys. like it. It was a couple months, but I was like, oh, you make it so hard to promote you, MailerLite. You make it so yeah. hard. I, yeah, I actually know a lot of people who got banned from it because, you know, they did something or they didn't even do something, but they think it's they did something. MailerLite's back and they got flagged and it was all like, maybe that's why they're so good about security. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Their security is tied for GDPR. They have a lot of options that other like ESPs don't have. So, you know, if you're someone who's not super techie or who doesn't want to worry about workarounds and just wants to use the default options that are available in your ESP, that's a good option to go with. But, you know, if you're not opposed to kind of finding ways to work around things. You can make any system work for you and be compliant. It just comes down to a little bit of creativity and some manual labor upfront. Gotcha. And definitely like you can reach out to your email service provider. They'll tell you as well that they're not a lawyer and they can't tell you what to do, but yeah. they should be able to walk you through the technology to set things up. So if you're Definitely. like, Hey, I want to set up a filter for people in the U. How do I do this? That they can answer. And if they won't answer it, then you should probably move email service providers because they're jerks. Yes. <laughs> Hashtag just saying. So 
basically, if we are super intimidated and we're super scared about this, and you can agree or disagree, or you don't have to say this, it is the easiest freebie to deal with if you're super scared of GDPR, big bad enforcers coming after you, just a one day, one PDF, because you can just send it in that confirmation email to everyone and just like let it go. And then you know everyone on your list is fine. Um. I mean, as far as compliance goes, it doesn't make a difference, like what's easy and what's difficult because you just have to deliver the freebie. Now, if your freebie is one day, if it's PDS, mm -hmm. send it out in one email, make sure they get it. That's it. If it's a five day course or whatever, like a challenge, let's say Facebook challenge or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, then it's five days. Then you're only going to deliver those five emails that trick is not to send anything in between or after because you're only allowed to send emails specifically to deliver that freebie and it doesn't mean that if you have let's say a sequence set up for that freebie such as a follow-up for that freebie asking them how they liked it or what they didn't like so those are emails that you shouldn't send them right? mm -hmm. you should only send those follow-ups to people that are on your list gave you consent you people, you only deliver the freebie and you let them know that this is it. They're not going to get any emails unless they give you consent to be in your email list. Then you can go ahead and send them additional like information if they want. Gotcha. So the most important thing that you had said, and like I said, I know that a lot of people get very, very intimidated by law. And like I said, I was even hoping like after a year later, it would be like, oh, like what is like the best possible way to do this? And like you said, unfortunately, there is still no clear cut type of a situation. I do think that those radio buttons do seem like, you know, a really nice idea. And again, if say your funnel is an evergreen funnel and we're here in the U.S., you might be like, oh, well, so-and-so is not doing this. Well, because you're not in the EU, you might not see what so-and-so is doing for the EU. So you don't want to necessarily reverse engineer what other people are doing. You want to look at what you're doing, what your comfort level is. Because like I said, some people will be like, oh, well, you know, if that challenge and that offer are like part of the same thing, you can just kind of go with it. But before they get on your main newsletter list where you just send them random weekly emails, that's when you need consent. So it yes. really just comes down to your gut call. Again, I don't think that the GDPR police are looking for the mom and pop bloggers. But like you said, I think that it is very smart to be confident in the decision that you're making about mm -hmm. how you're going to legally be protecting your blog. Definitely. And, and if you're really afraid, start at the very beginning with those radio buttons, guys, like those little choices. And then you'll know, hey, yes, it's going to apply to people who are in the U.S. too. But you know how I always tell you guys that it's more important to have an active email list that actually wants to hear from you rather than just freebie seekers. This is yet another filter that you can have. And ironically, lower uh, cost for your email service provider as well. Sure. Sure. I completely agree with you. I, uh, funnily enough, I'm in the process of converting my entire website to being compliant and not just targeting the EU because, you know, I figured sooner or later I have to do that for California law anyways. So I'm just applying con consent options to everybody like universal. It's not just EU anymore. So it makes life a little bit easier too, because you don't have to worry about applying filters and doing this. So if you just treat everybody as, um, people, <laughs> you know, as individuals right. rather than piece of data in your system where you understand that this person might not want to hear from you. This person might not 
want to get your marketing emails, you know, you just have to take that into consideration and get their consent before sending them anything. I think that's the best way to approach that. Just make it universal. Yes, it might be a little bit slower to grow your email list, but at the same time, the people who do get on your list are essentially going to be your true fans because they consented and they actively want to hear from you. Yes, definitely. So a lot of my stuff, you're like, oh, okay, like I send up to your list. Now I didn't see these emails. Mine's a lot of behind the scenes. Although the more that I've been sort of looking at this and you all know we're scaling to seven figures, the more that I am thinking a more front of the end type of thing is going to be good where again, I need to speak to someone, you know, personally who deals with you is again, especially you guys know, love your list is going to be going on an evergreen webinar funnel. So while on that thank you page, you're going to be able to see the actual replay. It's like sending them emails about the replay, I believe fall into there, but like reminding them about the offer that was on the replay is where there's sort of that like gray area. So you have to take everything with your own grain of salt and you need to take your own ownership of how you guys want to handle this. So I know that we covered so, so much in this episode. I know it's definitely going to be one of the most popular ones because, and I'm glad your friend said this to you, there are not a lot of people who speak to us, content creators, bloggers, and I feel like there's a million topics we could talk about when it comes to like those legal and accounting, like the things that really matter that we take for granted. I think you say on one of your landing pages or your sales pages, it doesn't matter if you're earning revenue from your kitchen table or from an office high rise, like you're still a business and you still need to treat it like a business, but don't be intimidated guys. Just ask questions. So I know you already told us at the beginning where everyone can find you, but why don't you go ahead and let us know where they can find you, how to get their hands on the GDPR checklist that you guys put, she put together just for us. Like she's super busy. She put it together just for inbox besties listeners and about your template set, which of course we'll have a link to everything in the show notes. Sure. Um, so um, my website is uh, freelanceandmarketing.com. Not very original, but it works, people. <laughs> and you can find the GDPR checklist at freelanceandmarketing.com forward slash GDPR hyphen checklist. Okay. okay. And you can download it from there. Um, and yes, you will get emails from me. Uh, this GDPR checklist is more geared for U.S. people, you know, because the European Union people have like stricter uh, policies and regulations as far as compliance goes. Um, but if you happen to be in EU and listening to this, you are going to get emails from me. You can opt out. I'll get your consent before putting it on. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. And again, it's simple things that like for GDPR that we didn't cover in this episode, it's things like having an unsubscribe link mm -hmm. or the link. And I know with active campaign, I had to like fight tooth and nail to make it so that way I could change my bottom where people could actually update their contact information. Yes. I'm yes. like, why is this so difficult? Why is this not defaulted? Like, no, that's literally me and the email marketing people. It needs to be in there. So any last parting words for someone who might be like super intimidated or scared or overwhelmed? You're like, I'm just not going to blog or email anymore. Uh, I think people make it more complicated or make it seem more complicated than it actually is. Mm -hmm. As I said, think of this as the person you're giving that person a choice, right? That's the easiest and best way to go about this. So you want the person that you're collecting data to actually agree to receive anything from you. If they're not agreeing, you cannot go ahead and force your stuff on them. It's just not ethical. It's not right. It's 
kind of not cool. Um, so if you do need help, feel free to reach out to me at any time. I'm pretty active on social. I answer emails all the time. Um, I do offer legal audits for blogs at super affordable rates. So if you're interested, if you want to see your website is compliant or not, you can book me for that. But if you have any questions after this podcast is done, go ahead and shoot me an email, uh, Miriam at freelanceandmarketing.com, and I promise I'll get back to you. Miriam, where do you like to hang out the most on social? So that way they know where to, they can reach I out. think I'm a Facebook gal. I love my Facebook. Like I'm very active in groups. Like if you see anybody asking a legal question in a group, I'm usually the first one to jump on it. If somebody hasn't already tagged me for it. So I'm pretty active on Facebook. Awesome. thoughts. So we'll make sure to go ahead and put your page profile below and anywhere, like I said, go ahead and ask questions. She's such a wealth of knowledge. I don't know how she finds time to help all of us as much as she does. Get those templates guys as you need it. Don't be afraid. Like I said, we're not making mountains out of molehills. We're just giving people the right to choose. Mm-hmm. And we will see you guys on Monday for your next Double Dog Dare. Thanks, Kate. Thank Bye. you. Oh, guys, that was such a great interview. I know I say this and all the time, but I'm actually going to be re-listening to this one. I'm actually going to be including it as a bonus in my paid course, Love Your List, because while I talk a little bit about GDPR, like I say a million times in that training, guys, spoiler alert, I'm not a lawyer. So be able to speak with someone who's so versed in this, it's so nice. And as she, as Marion has mentioned in this episode, it's not like there's any cases where someone violated someone or somebody sued someone over this. So it's really, really hard, even a year and a half in, to be like, yes, this is the way you do it. No, you did not do it. So I just want to go overhead and definitely head on over to freelanceandmarketing.com forward slash GDPR hyphen checklist. You're going to want to get that checklist. Now, as we stated, just because you're in the US, you might not necessarily want to copy what Marion's doing because there could be some stuff on her back end that you're not seeing because of location. But as she said, she's kind of moving towards just treating everyone the same way, not having like location-based things on here. So we both just do not want you to be afraid that now you're never going to be able to sell your email list or now your email list is never going to grow. If you put in the more conservative interpretations of GDPR into your email marketing, you're just going to get honestly more hot leads and people that actually want to hear from you and who are interested in going beyond just a free gift. Like they want to know how can you actually help me with this. Okay. So we just want to go ahead and get that out there. But one, you want to make sure that your website is GDPR compliant. So we're talking about the pop-ups, which we put a link to in the show notes. We talked about actually having your policy private, your private, we talked about actually having your privacy policy all up to date and GDPR compliant. And again, I'm going to link to her website if you want to get a hold. She has a whole bunch of uh, blogger friendly templates and course creator templates that you guys can get, which are super, super smart. So we'll put a link to those in the show note. And then you want to be able to handle how are you going to get consent from your email subscribers to send them your weekly newsletter and promotional emails? Are you going to go with that radio button? Are you going to go with a checklist? Are you going to go that sort of double opt-in approach that we talked about? You know, if you have a multiple day freebie, you know, if you mention it, you know, through day two or day four that you've got this course, are you going to let people see the rest of that sales sequence, everybody, or are you going to be like, Hey, do you want to hear more about this course? Click on this button. And it is entirely up to you. I'm not going to tell you either way what to do with it. You need to figure out how you want to handle this 
on your end. So that is it, guys. I hope that this was a really great interview. I hope that it not, did not cause you much fear or much confusion. It's really just to make a decision and to stick with it, kind of like everything in business. And I will see you guys next week. Thank you for having Inbox Besties in your ear holes today. Why don't we make it a regular thing? Go ahead and slap that subscribe button now. And for even more free value-soaked resources and a community of online entrepreneurs that actually get it, head on over to katedoster.com forward slash group to unlock your free membership to the Super Friends secret layer. And if you were one of my action takers listening over here on iTunes, thanks. Make sure that you leave a rating and review before you leave. I know it seems teeny tiny, but it makes a big world of difference in me being able to provide you with more dangerously practical tips and tricks for turning internet randos into subscribers with benefits. Later days.